Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. So it's Luke chapter 21, and we read together from verse 5. Some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, As for what you have seen here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Teacher, they asked, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to take place? He replied, watch out that you are not deceived. For many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and revolutions, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famine and pestilence in various places, and fearful events and great signs from heaven. But before all this, They will lay hands on you and persecute you. They will deliver you to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors, and all on account of my name. This will result in your being witnesses to them. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves, for I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. All men will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. By standing firm, you will gain life. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, Let those in the city get out, and let those in the country not enter the city. For this is the time of punishment in fulfilment of all that has been written. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against against this people. They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. There will be signs in the sun, moon and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. Men will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. He told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening you know that the kingdom of God is near. I tell you the truth, 
This generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life, and that day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Each day Jesus was teaching at the temple and each evening he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives. And all the people came early in the morning to hear him at the temple. Well, as we stand, let me pray for us. Because the sinless Saviour died, my life is safe with Christ on high. We thank you very much, Heavenly Father, for that safety that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that we would rejoice in it tonight and indeed be sure that we never lose it. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please do sit down. Well, Ben, thanks very much for uh, leading us. Uh, uh, Let me add my own welcome to that of Ben's uh, and uh, to tell you that we've been working through this section of Luke's Gospel and um, uh, last week we looked at the first part of chapter 21, uh, the chapter that Fred read for us earlier and from this week, verse 20 particularly onwards. Well, once again this week, I think I felt a bit like you, Ben. I found myself longing for a better world hearing of another cruel, brutal act of terror on the streets of New York, ending the lives of eight people and affecting hundreds of others. Seeing on the news story after story of women being sexually harassed in the workplace. Being sent an email on the 50th anniversary of the Abortion Act telling me that 8.8 million unborn lives have been lost in Great Britain as a result. Watching a harrowing documentary of women suffering from eating disorders talking to somebody about the alarming increase of suicide among young men in this nation, being asked to pray for the persecuted church across the world and especially in Iraq and Syria, visiting a member of this church family in hospital and seeing the fear on their face as they wept, sitting down with somebody as they told me of the desperation they feel in a loveless and dysfunctional marriage. That's just the events of this week. Next week, I'm flying out to Cambodia, as John very kindly prayed for me, to visit our mission partners, Jonathan and Zoe Norgate, and I'll be taken to the slums where I expect to see abject poverty, the likes of which I've never experienced before. I expect to meet people living their whole lives in appalling and degrading situations that they will never escape from. I expect to meet people for whom every day is a fight for survival. The pain and misery that is all over this world reminds me of the fallenness of the world and it makes me desperate for a better world. It leaves me longing for that day when Jesus returns and the kingdom of God is finally and fully ushered in for the promised new heavens and new earth, the home of righteousness as the Bible describes it. And that is what Jesus points to here in Luke chapter 21. Uh, Before we dive into the passage, let me ask you to try and think of the best day you've ever had. 
You know, that, that kind of almost perfect day, a day you wish would never end. Perhaps it was on holiday with someone special in a wonderful place, eating delicious food, celebrating with family, doing something really fun. Think back to that day, that day you wish would never end. Well, look, what Jesus speaks of here, of the kingdom of God being near, he is speaking of an experience of being somewhere where you hope it will never end, and it never does. A place that is in stark contrast to this world because even the best moments in this world end, not to mention all the aspects of this world that are so grim. Here, as Jesus uh, points his disciples toward the wonderful prospect of a new creation, he says, be sure that you don't miss out on that wonderful place to come with the Lord Jesus forever. But of course, for Jesus to bring that promised new creation, there has to be judgment. God has to get rid of all the stuff in this broken world that ruins life if he is going to bring us the new world. More than that, God must bring justice to this world. If he were to ignore all the injustices in the world, we would be outraged and indeed God would not be God. And so for that wonderful new creation to become a reality, there must be judgment. And when judgment day comes, when Jesus will wrap up history as we know it, it will be a day of utter turmoil and Jesus speaks of that here. Last week, as we looked at the first part of uh, Luke chapter 21, Andy Fernley helpfully took us through um, this first part of the chapter and explained how the chapter fits together. It's well worth listening to that again next, uh, on the internet if you can. He explained that weaving through this chapter are two events, the judgment of Jerusalem and the final judgment to come. They are two events, but they helped to understand the two events, uh, they help to explain, one helps to explain the other. And he explained how the falling of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple is first a scale model of the final judgment of the world. And second, the falling of Jerusalem is a sure sign that Jesus will return to judge the world. Now we see that again here. Firstly, it is a scale model. You see that in verses 20 to 28 if you're taking notes. Uh, this week, Caroline, my wife, has been clearing out our loft space and she found loads of Lego. It reminded me of, uh, well, loads of time when I've had great fun building Lego, but uh, a trip to Legoland that Joshua and I took some years back. Uh, but it's a brilliant trip. And um, we, uh, as we were walking around Lego. Uh, land, we, if you've been, came to this part of Legoland where there are sort of all these structures of many of the major cities in the world. Brilliant models of the most iconic buildings of the world. You know, the Eiffel Tower, the Houses of Parliament, the Taj Mahal, all those places. Now, just imagine walking into Legoland and running amok, smashing up the buildings, wrecking them and making explosive noises. And at the end of your frenzied attack on Legoland and the security guards running to get you, there'd be absolute carnage, Lego bricks everywhere, and you'd have a scale model of the end of the world. It'd be fantastic, wouldn't it? Well, maybe not. (laughs) Here in Luke chapter 1, Jesus says the destruction of the temple and the sacking of Jerusalem is a scale model of the judgment of the world. But look now, it's not with Lego bricks. This is real. Look at verse 20. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. 
here, at this point, Jesus is predicting something that came true in AD 70 when the Roman Emperor Nero sent his troops into Jerusalem. The Roman army, led by the future Emperor Titus, with Tiberius Julius Alexander as his second in command, besieged and conquered the city of Jerusalem, which had been controlled by Judean rebel factions since the year AD 66. The siege ended on August the 30th, AD 70, with the sacking of the city and the destruction of the temple. History tells us it happened, but when Jesus said these words, you would have found it hard to believe that it would ever happen. You see, the temple was huge and impressive. Indeed, that's how this whole discussion began. Do you remember last week, verse 5? The disciples, as they were walking around the temple, were remarking how beautiful it was. It was adorned with beautiful stones. It was quite spectacular to look at. The temple was such a large structure, it could easily fit in 20, 30, 40,000 people. It was massive and beautiful. Standing in it, you'd think it was as permanent as the mountains that surrounded Jerusalem. But Jesus said, verse 6, As for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. As Jesus said those words, no one would have believed it. Because the temple was so big, because it was so important. The temple was at the very heart of Judaism. To say the temple would be destroyed was to say that Judaism itself was going to be destroyed. And that, of course, is what Jesus was saying. Jerusalem, the holy city, would become, in effect, a Gentile city. First overrun by the Gentiles, then actually run by the Gentiles according to Gentile values. Jerusalem would actually become all that it had become, begun to be. Jerusalem's leaders were about to take God's Messiah. We read all about this in chapter 19 and 20. Jerusalem's leaders were about to take God's Messiah and have him executed by the Romans. They were about to reject their God. They were about to act like the Gentiles around them who themselves had rejected God and turned to other gods. And so Jerusalem would be destroyed. The temple flattened. And with it, Judaism would be replaced as the way through which men and women and boys and girls would come to know the one true living God. And all that seemed impossible when Jesus said it. But it happened. History tells us it happened. What Jesus predicted here in verse 20 happened. Nero sent his troops and the temple was raised to the ground. And Jesus said, when that happens, get out of the city as fast as you can. Verse 21, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the great city get out. Let those in the country not enter the city, for this is the time of punishment in fulfillment of all that has been written. How dreadful it will be for those in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. If you were caught in the city when that happened, there would be no escape. It would end in death or in capture. It would be terrible for pregnant mothers and nursing mothers because they wouldn't be able to flee fast enough being pregnant or with a child at their side. Jesus is giving us here a picture of a city utterly ruined by the ravages of war. 
and desperately is a picture that we're all too familiar with. Aleppo, Mosul, war zones, utter devastation. And Jesus said, when that happens to Jerusalem, it will be a scale model of what the final judgment will be when it comes on the whole world. He says judgment will be terrible. And that's why last week we heard Jesus say that we should be witnesses. We should tell people the gospel out of love for the people, warn them of the judgment to come. We saw that in verses 12 to 15. You'll see uh, in particularly verse 13, uh, even being taken up before the courts will result in your being witnesses to them. Be witnesses, even if they won't listen to you, tell them. Even if they hate you, tell them. Even if they lock you in prison, tell them. Tell them because the final judgment will be terrible and when it comes there will be no time to escape. See, because when the judgment comes, it will come upon the whole world. You see, the scale model, Jerusalem, now we move to the whole world, verse 25, and the final judgment. There will be signs in the sun, moon and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. What is being described here is a time of cataclysmic cosmic chaos. Sun, moon and stars, heavenly bodies being shaken, as you see at the end of verse 26. This will be so completely different to anything anyone has ever experienced before. Verse 26, men will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. And there'll be no doubt, you see, that this will be the end of the world because cataclysmic events will take place in the skies above and as people look up in utter amazement, verse 27, they won't see fireworks. No, verse 27, at that time they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. What a contrast from all that we've seen in the preceding chapters. In chapter 19, do you remember, we saw Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey Here, verse 27, he is coming on a cloud, the sign of deity. In chapter 19, Jesus came meek and lowly, but here, verse 27, he comes with power and glory. In chapter 19, some saw him as the uh, awaited Messiah. Most rejected him, but when he comes on that final day, there will be no doubt about it that he is king. That is how Jesus will return. And so you see, last time in verses 8 and 9, we were warned not to be deceived by people coming and claiming to be the Christ. Here's why. Because when he comes, there won't be any doubt. So the next time that someone appears on the television or knocks on your front door and says that they are the proclaimed Messiah or they know that he's come or will come, don't listen to them. Because unless you saw him and all everyone on this planet saw him coming on a cloud in great power and glory, then he's not the Messiah. When Jesus comes to wrap up history as we know it, it will be obvious because sun, moon and stars will be shaken. Judgment day will be unmistakable. And what a terrible day it will be for many, verse 26. Men will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world. And in the light of that, what a surprise verse 28 is. You see, what do you expect him to say next? Look what he says. When these things begin to take place, stand up 
and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. In a war zone, people keep their heads down. At the end of the world, as people faint from terror and apprehension, you'd expect people to be told to bunker down. But no, he's speaking to his disciples and to Christians. He says judgment day will be a great day for everyone who's really following Christ. So on that day, lift up your heads. Stand up and rejoice that end of verse 28. Your redemption is drawing near. That day you wish would never end and then never does is really near now. The new creation where there'll be no more frustration and no more pain and no more crying and no more death and no more mourning is nearly here when that happens. See, for the Christian judgment day will be a wonderful day. So stand up, lift up your heads, feel the utter relief of that day. It's coming. So first, the fall of Jerusalem is a scale model of the the final judgment. And second, the fall of Jerusalem is a sure sign of Jesus' return. This is verses 29 to 33. Uh, Shortly after I was ordained, I went to what what, what is called a a clergy chapter meeting. Sounds thrilling, doesn't it? Um, It's a gathering of other clergy in the area, all getting together for lunch and eating our sandwiches together and hearing about things going on in the churches in the area. At, At my first meeting, I was welcomed and asked to introduce myself. I told them how I became a Christian as part of my introduction and I told them how I was passionate to tell people about Jesus because following Jesus is so brilliant and because I wanted people to be saved from the coming judgment. And when I finished, the elder statesman of the group said, well, welcome, Paul. I can see you're going to need our help. You speak of people facing judgment. Surely they're not teaching that nonsense at theological college today, are they? And most of the rest of the clergy in the room began to chuckle. They thought it was hilarious. Judgment Day sounds like such an old-fashioned idea. Surely we don't believe in that anymore. And frankly, every decade that passes without it happening makes it harder to believe. Look, it's 2,000 years since Jesus said these words. We can't really believe this is going to happen, can we? How does you answer that? How does Jesus answer that? He says, well, look at the fall of Jerusalem. It's a sure sign that the final judgment is going to come. Look at verse 29. He told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that the summer is near. Some of the parables that Jesus teaches are quite complicated. This is not one of them. Anyone can understand it. When the blossom begins to appear on the trees, you know the summer is near. That's all it's saying. What a great thought that is. I I really haven't enjoyed the darker evening since the clocks went back last Sunday. It's only been a week. Can't wait for them to go the other way. The days are getting shorter. The temperature getting lower. The long, hard winter is approaching. How miserable is that? I love it when the blossom appears on the trees in spring because then I know the summer's just around the corner. It's brilliant. In the same way, Jesus says, when when the fall of Jerusalem happens... That is like the blossom on the trees, you know the summer is coming. The one thing leads to the other. So when people say to us, Jesus is never going to return, we should think the judgment of Jerusalem happened in AD 70. That's like the blossom on the trees. And no one thought that was going to happen, but it did. Jesus was right on that one. I know he'll be right about the final judgment. The summer is coming. Here's the thing for the Christian. 
That final judgment day is not something to fear, but something to look forward to. It's like looking forward to summer. Like the summer coming after a long, cold winter. You see verse 31? Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Summer is near. The kingdom of God is near. Verse 28, your redemption is near. And why can you be so sure of all this? Well, verse 32, I tell you the truth. This generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. And that generation did not disappear before Jerusalem fell in AD 70. The generation that Jesus was speaking to, who didn't think that this was ever going to happen, witnessed these catastrophic, terrible events (laughs) that happened in AD 70 in Jerusalem and the temple. And so, verse 33, we can know that Jesus' words will not pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. See what he says? I said that this was going to happen, and it happened. You can be sure that my words will not fall away. He says, what I say here is going to come to pass. I will come back to judge the world. You see how this is brilliant, how these two events stick together. The falling of Jerusalem tells us what the final judgment will look like, and the falling of Jerusalem tells us that the final judgment will come. How are we to respond to all this? Well, two things. Be careful and be watchful. Firstly, be careful, verse 34. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness and the anxieties of life and that day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Look, there is a great future ahead for the Christian. Our final redemption. The coming of the kingdom of God. The new heavens and the new earth where all the terrible things of this world will have been removed. Where every day you long for it not to end and then it never ends. So Christian, don't miss out. Don't miss out by getting sidetracked into everything that this world has to offer. It is so easy to take your eye off the ball. There are so many things that are able to distract us from keeping going with Jesus. He mentions here in verse 34, the anxieties of life. Worrying about my job and my mortgage and the education for the children and the next holiday and whether I have enough money to replace the dishwasher and... And whether we're going to get blown up. (laughs) Look, living for the things of this world are very, very distracting. And before you know it, Jesus is then not the most important person in your life. Following him firstly just becomes one of a number of things that are competing for your affection. Oh yes, he's important, but well, there's these other things as well. And then suddenly he's not directing your life because all these other things become more important. And suddenly, in any meaningful sense, he's really not directing your life at all. 
And certainly you don't long to be with him anymore because the things of this life are so delicious and so lovely and I want them so much and they become most important to me. And now you're living for them rather than living for him. Jesus says, be careful. If that's how life is for you, end of verse 34, that day, judgment day, will come on you unexpectedly and you won't be ready for it. And if you've taken your eye off the ball, that day that should bring you so much joy will be a terrible day because, verse 35, judgment will come on everyone on the face of the earth. It will come on you as well. So be careful. Be careful to be living for Jesus and not for these other things. Now, please, Jesus is not saying that you have to be perfect to be sure of eternity. No, of course not. Our salvation is dependent on him. We've sung that already. That's what we believe. The cross of the Lord Jesus Christ brings us salvation. But equally, most of us who've been Christians more than five minutes will know people who've drifted away from Jesus, weighed down by the anxieties of this life. Suddenly, everything in this life seems far more important than him And now Jesus doesn't figure in their lives anymore. So Jesus says, be careful that doesn't happen to you. Be careful, secondly, be watchful, verse 36. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Watch and pray. You see, actually being watchful, this watch and pray thing I'm going to explain in a moment, is how you are careful, or one part of how you can be careful. Watching is about being spiritually alert, and a watchful person is a praying person, praying that you'd keep going with Jesus to the end. Now let me ask you as we close, do you pray? I mean, I mean really pray? And if you do, what do you pray about? If you do pray, are your prayers any different to the hopes and dreams of any unbelievers? See, unbelievers have hopes and dreams. You turn them into prayers, but they're actually the same. Do you pray about having a successful and healthy and comfortable life? Is that the the large part of your prayers? Because if that is largely what you pray about, and it's okay to pray about those things, but if that's the main thing or even the only thing you pray about, frankly, your prayers are not much more than an attempt to sanctify the aspiration of unbelievers. Jesus says our prayer should be about us keeping going as Christians to the end. Verse 36, be always on the watch. Pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you will be able to stand before the Son of Man. Your prayer life will probably reflect, if you have one, what your biggest concern is. Our biggest concern, our biggest daily prayer should not be about us having this, that or the other in this life, but keeping on going with Jesus, not giving up, not drifting, making the most of our lives now and keeping with him to the end of our days. We should pray daily about growing in love and devotion to Jesus and wanting to be with him above everything else. You see, as we grow in love for him, we will then look forward to that day. Our eyes will be focused on him coming back. Not on the anxieties of this life. We'll so long for him to return because when we look at this life, what do we see but acts of terror and crippling diseases? 
We long for that day when he'll come back where there'll be no more innocent lives ended, no more utter despair, no more persecution for following him, no more hospitals, no more loveless, lonely relationships, no more abject poverty. So watch and pray. Watch and pray that nothing snatches you away from the wonderful heavenly prize that Jesus won for us. And watch and pray so you'll be able to lift up your head high when you finally see Jesus coming on the clouds in power and glory because then your redemption is near. Let's pray together. We thank you, our Lord and God, that uh, this life is not all there is. We thank you that there is a wonderful future to look forward to. We thank you for the promise that the Lord Jesus is going to return on the clouds in power and with great glory. We thank you that we can be sure that that day is going to come because the, the other thing he talked about happened in A.D. 70. We thank you for the certainty of it. And we pray, please, that you'd help us to keep our eyes very firmly fixed on that day to come. Not getting bogged down in the anxieties of this life, but praying earnestly that you would keep each one of us here going till the end, focused on the Lord Jesus and longing for him. And we pray it in his name. Amen.